I have a physical allergy to alcohol and coupled with the mental obsession, my disease, I do believe, continues to get stronger even though I've been sober for a very long time. I've heard of people that have gone back out. I've heard their stories and sometimes they don't make it back. It terrifies me. Don't give up. It's always available. And I never stop coming to meetings. I mean, it is the solution for me and can be your solution. If you're an alcoholic, I, I believe it'll work for you. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. This is a show where we strive to provide inspiration for those in recovery through interviews with members of the recovery community. Although we're not aligned with any 12-step recovery program, you may hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today's February 7th. We've got Nan F. in from Jacksonville Beach, Florida. That's who you heard at the beginning of the episode. Before we jump into the episode, I'd love to ask for your help. If you're listening on a podcast app, can I ask you to give us a rating? Let us know what you think. Give us maybe a comment. These things mean a lot to me so that we can keep the show moving in the right direction. I love your feedback. If you're listening on YouTube, maybe give us a thumbs up. Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's great to have you on the show. Would you get us started by reading The Daily Reflection for February 7th? Sure. A path to faith. True humility and an open mind can lead us to faith. And every AA meeting is an assurance that God will restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to him. That's from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 33. My last drunk had landed me in the hospital, totally broken. It was then that I was able to see my past float in front of me. I realized that, through drinking, I had lived every nightmare I ever had. My own self-will and obsession to drink had driven me into a dark pit of hallucinations, blackouts, and despair. Finally beaten, I asked God's help. His presence told me to believe. My obsession for alcohol was taken away, and my paranoia has since been lifted. I am no longer afraid. I know my life is healthy and sane. Tell me what this daily reflection means to you. So this brings me back to when I had um, my white light experience, which was um, back in 1986. And I had actually, I had, I had not come into AA yet, but I had come into the rooms of Al-Anon because I was in a relationship with someone whose drinking had progressed and it was causing me a great deal of emotional pain. And um, I hadn't believed in God. Um, I decided as a child, like that I would pray to God and nothing would happen. And so I decided that God didn't exist. And, um, then I, you know, I heard the 12 steps in Al-Anon, they, you know, they use the same 12 steps we do. And, uh, you know, I was just in so much pain that I, that I stopped fighting. And then one day I was in a lot of pain. I'd been up all night worried about this person who I thought, who had been so suicidal. And, um, I had a vision. I had a vision of how God had been working in my whole life and how that everything that I thought that I wanted and prayed for was really a blessing. And that God had the hand of God. I saw the hand of God through my whole life. Um, it was really, really powerful. What was it like prior to coming in into the rooms? Oh yeah. So I was, <laughs> I was definitely alcoholic. I drank alcoholically from the very beginning. Um, my father was an alcoholic. He drank a fifth of, and I can say that because he drank a fifth of gin every single night and I would see him like stumble down the hall 
on his way to bed every night. And, um, I, you know, the first time I had a beer, it was just this amazing feeling. Like the first time I'd had a full beer, I'd always liked little sips of beer. But when I had a full beer for the first time, actually, I think I had, might've had two. I know I had at least one. An amazing feeling came over me and it was like all of a sudden I was comfortable in my own skin. And um, it was like, I felt like this must be what other people feel like and why they can seem like they're at ease in the world because I had never been at ease. And so, you know, I just chased that feeling from there on. You know, I was always looking for that same feeling. And of course, you know, uh, you know, it always, I could never drink enough and I would drink to blackout or pass out every single time, pretty much, pretty much every single time. Yeah. Did you have a lot of wreckage to clean up after you got sober? Well, I mean, there was a lot of wreckage throughout my drinking career. I only drank for 10 years. Um, I started drinking when I was 15. And um, by the grace of God, I was able to stop by the time I was, well, I was introduced to the program and therefore was able to stop at the age of 24. But I did enough um, drinking through those 10 years, you know, lots of car accidents and DUIs and, um, you know, fights and falling down and blacking out and saying things to people and, you know, terrifying my parents, um, you know, when I would take their cars and they would never know, you know, what condition it would be in when they would come back or what condition I would be in, you know, and just not being reliable. Um, I went to college and was never able to complete a semester because of my partying. Um, I kind of had cleaned up my act a little bit, you know, by the time I was like in my mid early twenties, like 22, 23, I had a full-time job. Um, but there was always that fear in the back of it, like that at any time I was going to have another DUI or something bad was going to happen and I was just going to lose everything. So, um, the wreckage that I had to clean up was, was, um, cleaning up my own life and, um, changing my people, you know, the people, places and things that I hung out, places and things that I did and where I hung out so that I could be a productive member of society. That was really the wreckage that I had. That must have been difficult being so young. Uh, do you feel like you missed you missed part of your youth because you got sober? No, I feel like I gained my youth <laughs> because I got sober. Because, you know, I was miserable. The whole time that I was drinking, I was, I was miserable. And, um, you know, I got sober in Kansas City. And... Um, there were smaller rooms. You know, I remember I used to go to this, there was like an AA coffee pot sign that hung on the door. And I would go to this little room, um, in the town where I grew up in Independence, Missouri. And, um, it was this table and people would kind of, you know, we would go around the table and there might be like one other person that was young and everybody else was older. But, um, you know, I had just known the pain that drinking had caused me. And I really, I really, um, I really, I saw AA as my way out of that pain. So, um, once I got sober, um, you know, I was working in, um, I had a pretty good job and I was working in a big computer department and there were all these people there and some of them were my age or maybe just a little bit older and, and they would invite me to do things that I always thought they were boring and I never had anything to, you know, to relate to with them. And we'd go water skiing and, um, we'd go down to the lake and, um, just all kinds of things opened up for me, like that I was able to do that I couldn't do because I'd been drinking. 
So no, I feel like AA gave me my life. And then, so I was about a year sober when I moved to New York and there they had young people meetings, you know, and there were a lot of people that were a lot younger than me that were sober in these big meetings. And, um, there was a sober club and there was so much fun stuff to, to do. You know, I had, you know, and there I met people and we'd go, we just do all kinds of fun stuff, you know, go to go skiing. We'd go to each other's houses and have parties and game night and there wouldn't be any fighting or car crashes or, you know, and we all pretty much got along, you know, that's we great. Yeah. We are not a glum lot. Not at all. So how has your life changed? Uh, my life is really beyond my wildest dreams. So, um, you know, I think I'd always want, known that I wanted to have children and I wanted to be married. But I, you know, before I got sober, I couldn't really see that for myself um, because I was choosing relationships that were very destructive. I was never happy in relationships. And, you know, most of the time I was choosing men who would reject me Um I think it was a way of my, you know, I would choose them on purpose to protect myself because I was afraid of connection. You know, somebody talked about that in one of the meetings this morning about, um, that I, you know, I attended, um, that they were afraid of connecting, you know, and it's ironic because the thing that I wanted the most was to connect with people, but I had so much fear of connection that I was always sabotaging it. By getting sober, I was able to, uh, get into a, you know, a committed monogamous relationship. I mentioned that I moved to New York. I I met someone who was working where I worked um, and I had been sober and um, he was there for a short time and he was from New York. And I wound up, you know, when he had to go back, I wound up moving to New York to be with him. And then um, we got married and you know, one of the dreams that I had when I was a child too was I remember I heard about identical twins and I thought, I want to be a twin. I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And uh, it turned out, you know, after I was sober about six years and I got pregnant and I, w- I had identical twin girls and everybody says they look like me and they are the greatest blessing. Um, and then I always wanted to live in a warm climate. And, you know, we wound up moving to Florida after, you know, after I'd been in New York for eight years. So, my life is really, you know, beyond my wildest dreams. That's, I mean, sobriety's given me everything. I wouldn't have a life without sobriety. I think I'd probably be dead or, or very, very ill. People in, in this position are not likely to reach out, but maybe there's someone listening that is struggling and they don't know if AA is going to work for them and they, they have fear around it. What do you say to someone like that? I say just, you know, try to keep an open mind because I never thought that, I, I mean, I, I thought of AA as like a bunch of old guys under a bridge with a paper bag. Um, I didn't know what AA was. And, you know, actually I came into the rooms through Al-Anon, which, you know, we're, it's our sister uh, fellowship. Um, but I was just in so much pain that I was willing to let it help me. And I think that's really the key is that um, when I'm willing to give up, you know, just give up the fight. You know, if what you're doing is still working for you, I mean, go for it. But, you know, when it's not working, try to try, try something different, you know. And for me, that was going to meetings and listening to other people. And I was just, I was just worn out. 
I was just tired and unhappy. Did you hear your own story in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous? Yes. In fact, um, you know, and I share this all the time, when I came into the rooms, it was like all of a sudden I was no longer an alien because I was always trying to talk to people. I was always trying to explain myself to people or get people to understand me. And I never felt like anybody understood me. You know, I remember people just looking at me like I was crazy and insane. And I thought I was crazy and insane. And then when I came into the rooms and people started talking about all this stuff that was in their heads, I was like, wow, like they talk and think the way that I think. And it's coming out of their mouths and we're all nodding our heads because we all understand. I I heard that stream of consciousness that was, you know, torture to me coming out of other people's mouths. And that was a tremendous relief. Tremendous. Did it take long for you to connect to a sponsor? Yes. So when I got sober in Kansas City, um, I actually, you know, I continued going to Al-Anon while I was going to AA because, um, to be honest, the reason I went into AA was that I went and I met with a counselor and um, because, you know, because of this other person that I was living with and his drinking, we'd put him into rehab because he was suicidal. And I went to this counselor and she she told me that I was an alcoholic and she was able to break my denial. And she told me that the only way I could save the relationship was if I, you know, if he got sober, that I would have to get sober. And so that's why I went into AA, you know, and they talk about the only requirement for membership is, was a desire to stop drinking. Well, I did not have that desire. I mean, alcohol was my best friend. Alcohol was my solution. I didn't come in saying, oh, I need to stop drinking. I came in to say, I need the pain to stop you know? And, um, so I didn't even have that desire, but, um, I was just in so much pain that I was willing to listen and it was suggested that you don't drink. And I knew that that was a key component of being an AA. So, um, so that's, you know, that's how I stopped drinking. Mm. So, and and then, and then when did you meet a sponsor? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I had kind of an Al-Anon sponsor when I was in Kansas City. And then um, I, I remember going to somebody's, um, it was an anniversary party. And this woman got up and she was speaking and she talked about trust God, clean house and help others. And I thought, what is she talking about? Like I knew about the trust God part, but the the clean house thing and I didn't know how to help anybody else. I didn't even know how to help myself. But it was shortly thereafter that I moved up to New York. And in New York, they're very clear about, you know, what the instructions are. And so, uh, you know, I got in there and they're like, who's your sponsor? What step are you on? And I'm like, uh, okay, I guess I need to get a sponsor. So that's when I got a sponsor. And I, 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 I picked a woman who all my friends that was great. It, she wasn't great for me, but she did take me, you know, I was able to do my fourth and fifth step and I was able to check those boxes off. But, um, I've had, I've had many different sponsors. And for me, my experience has been that, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears and, um, you know, that's how it happens. You know, I get a sponsor when I'm drawn to a sponsor or, um, you know, when I pray to God and I know that I, you know, that I cannot, I can't do the ism 
you know, I did it in the beginning. I thought, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have a sponsor, but you know, somebody, uh, someone of my good friends pointed out, you know, ism is I sponsor myself. (laughs) So that doesn't work. So I know that my thinking is off and I need to have my thinking checked and I need to be, you know, I need to have someone whom I'm accountable to who can tell me when my thinking is off because I don't know, you know, a sick mind can't heal a sick mind. That's what came from Joe and Charlie. You know, I can't take credit for that, but um, yeah, sponsorship is very important. And I, I've had a sponsor now, you know, different sponsors, but I've consistently had a sponsor for the last, oh, 20, yeah, 20 years or maybe more, you know, they've been, there've been some periods where I didn't have a sponsor and those were not good experiences. Yeah. I've heard it said that if you've sponsor yourself, you've got a bad sponsor. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Not a good idea. Yeah. So what does your service program look like today? Are you helping other women? Are you, are you uh, performing service outside of AA? What does that look like for you today? So, um, you know, as I mentioned, I had my, I had those twin girls and um, they took up a lot of my time after I had them. Um, I had kind of been sponsoring off and on um, through, you know, before that. And even, you know, even after I had them, I had a sponsor who introduced me to a girl and I sponsored her for a little while. And then, you know, kind of dabbled in sponsorship. But then after my girls uh, went off to college, I knew that I needed, I needed to fill that um, hole. And I remember praying a lot. Um, Every morning I, in my meditation practice, I would pray, you know, God help me to be useful. I wanted to sponsor. And so, um, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, someone asks you to sponsor them. You can't really make that happen. So I just, you know, prayed and made myself open. And I had a lot of learning experiences, you know, with women who, um, you know, I would get so much out of sponsoring them because whenever you're taking someone through the steps, you're going through the steps again also. Um, but sometimes I would, you know, the first, the, the women that I connected with in the beginning that would ask me to sponsor them, they didn't want it for themselves as much as I wanted it for them. And I would do more work and then that just didn't work. It didn't work for them. It didn't work for me. So it was a learning process, but now I've got about five women that I sponsor and, um, it is the greatest gift. And, uh, it, it really, it really truly is. It keeps me in the steps. It keeps me working the program. And, um, you know, there's no greater feeling than really seeing someone find the same kind of relief that I found, you know, it's a, re- it's its own reward. Do you ever feel responsible for someone else's sobriety? Yeah. Like I shared, I used to, you know, I used to feel responsible, but now, um, you know, I've been taught and I, what I've learned is that um, I'm carrying around a box of tools. You know, the tools are the steps. And um, I've been given, you know, some great instructions by, you know, some of my sponsors. I had a really great sponsor about five, six years ago, and I did a really in-depth fifth step. And I and there's a process that uh, we followed, and I use that process now. And I do you want to do you want to explain what the fifth step is? Okay. So the, yeah. So the fifth step, so the fourth step is when you make a a list of all of your resentments, it's a moral inventory. 
And, um, and then the fifth step is when you share that moral inventory with your, um, with your sponsor or with um, an outside party. And it's a way of freeing ourselves. It's kind of like, you know, the Catholic practice of confession, but um, it's, it's more of a way for me. The fifth step is a way of taking myself out of isolation you know, so I can, like I was saying, my head will tell me all kinds of things and I can, you know, be alone with God and I can rationalize all kinds of things. But when I have a witness of another person who's hearing those things and who can hear those things without judgment and nine times out of 10, they're going to say, yeah, me too. It really takes me out of that loneliness and that isolation and that ability to forgive myself. Because I think that's the biggest part of it is that, you know, I may get forgiveness from other people, but I have a really hard time forgiving myself. But, but when I can hear, you know, another woman, but I could forgive another woman for doing the same thing that I did. And when she's like me too, I can really feel that forgiveness and move past, you know, and not have to repeat those things over and, and, and let go of the shame because shame kept me trapped. Did you try other things and try your own way at the program before? following a sponsor's direction? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I thought that the 12 steps were just suggestions, you know, because they do say that they're just suggestions. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've been sober a long time. So in the beginning I did a lot of, uh, yeah, just, um, self-justification. Um, well, you know, I'm only gossiping because, um, this person is not, you know, healthy or whatever, you know, I would just rationalize in my, in my head. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did try the easier, softer way. And, you know, ultimately I found that the easier, softer way is just by doing the deal and working the steps, you know, because every time that I would try to evade something because, you know, alcoholics, we are notoriously not, not disciplined. And so every time I would try to evade things, and that was, the, that was the whole reason I drank was because I was trying to escape from things. I was trying to avoid things. So when I try to avoid things, you know, mentally or skirt around it, um, I'm only doing myself a disservice because I'm not moving through it. I'm just stuffing it down and I'm still carrying that baggage around. And until I can move through something, I can't really let go of it and, and grow and move past it. So that's beautiful. So with a lot of sobriety, with a lot of time, um, does it get easier? Is there, are there still hard times in sobriety for you? Absolutely. There are hard times. Um, you know, but I'm really blessed in that, um, you know, I think that the twenties, at least this has been my experience and I've, I've heard a couple other people that have the same kind of time that I do. Um, you know, the twenties are really formative years and that's when you kind of decide, kind of define yourself as an adult and how you're going to approach life. And luckily for me, I came into the program at 24 and that became my framework. And, you know, it was, it worked, you know, I knew that my way of living did not work. And so, um, every time I would come into the program, every single time I would feel the relief every time, you know, like it says in the promises, I would, you know, it worked when I worked it. And so it became my framework. And so, you know, for me, um, there's somebody that's in my home group that says, you know, my character defects lessen in 
frequency, intensity, and duration. And that has been my experience. Now, the road gets narrower. So things that I used to get away with, I no longer get away with. You know, like I cannot gossip easily at all. If I try to get away with it, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have that awful feeling and I'm going to know, and I'm going to have to, you know, make an amend, talk to my sponsor, something. Um, So, I mean, I think it does get easier. You know, I'm going through some difficult time right now. I'm taking care of my mother. She has dementia and that in, you know, anybody can tell you that that's a challenge, you know, Um, but I have the tools and I have people that I can lean on. And when I start feeling crazy, I know that, wait a minute, I don't have to feel crazy. There is a solution. And usually for me, it's, I have to pick up the phone and have somebody else, whether it's my sponsor or somebody else, you know, that I respect in the program, tell me the truth so that I can, you know, get my, I'm like, oh yeah. Cause it's like, I forget. I just forget. What is the truth? The truth, you know, for me, um, that, um, when I am disturbed, um, it's me. It's always me. It's never anything outside of me. And, you know, I have the power to, and the tools and the resources to change that. You know, I can always, and God is, God is always there and God is always the solution. So when I turn, when I let go of my problem and I ask him, honestly ask him for help and I'm willing to do whatever action is required, I will move through it. But until I do that, if I'm trying to figure it out and fix it on my own um, and I'm feeling the pain, that means that I got to stop and look for, look for other direction, which is usually from, you know, from God speaking through people most of the time. Do you have anything else you'd like to tell the audience before we begin to wrap? Yeah, just don't give up before the miracle. You know, keep coming. I never stopped coming to AA. You know, when I hear about people who go back out and drink, and I, I mean, there have been times when I've started inching myself away from the program, and it's, you know, only by the grace of God that I didn't go back out and drink. I have a physical allergy to alcohol, and coupled with a mental obsession, And my disease, I do believe, continues to get stronger, even though I've been sober for a very long time. So um, I've seen, I've heard of people that have gone back out. I've heard their stories and sometimes they don't make it back. It terrifies me. Don't give up and, and don't forget. It's always, it's always there. It's always available. And I never stopped coming to meetings. I mean, it is the solution for me. And it can be your solution. If you're an alcoholic, I, I believe it'll work for you. It's a powerful message. Nan, thanks so much. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for your support. If you want to join the conversation online, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast. We've got a blog where we write about recovery, our experiences. You can find that at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd love to get a review. That would really help us. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day.